every Sunday when we get into the Bible, every Wednesday night when we study, every Sunday night it's important, it matters. But there are those times, at least for me personally, and maybe it's just my own experience of studying the Word, there are those times where I know that I know that what the Lord has for us is so incredibly important that the enemy would do anything he can to distract us and to take us away. And I pray that that would not happen this morning, that your ears would be wide open and your hearts would truly hear what the Lord has for us. And what our study this morning, just not another not just another study through the Old Testament, not just moving our way through numbers, but a word from the Lord for us to hear today. From Numbers chapter 17. Before we get there, Matthew 24 verse 24, Jesus said false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. Peter says there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Lagos, Nigeria. Dawn is near, but the congregation shows no signs of tiring. For more than eight hours, all through a torrid tropical night, they had danced, shouted, and prayed with a preacher most simply called Daddy. More than 300,000 have come, but for the redeemed Christian church of God, it's just about an average turnout. 300,000. Think big. Think even bigger. This is the face of 21st century Christianity. Colossal, restless, and African. There's no better lesson than the redeemed church and the insatiable ambitions of its guiding hand, Pastor Enoch Adahare Adaboye. The savvy former mathematician leads the fastest growing Christian movement on a continent that's rapidly putting its stamp on the faith around the world. I started reading that and started going, wow, cool, awesome. It's great to see what's happening, what God is doing in other parts of the world. Until I read this, a description of their all-night service. See if you catch what I caught. At 7 p.m., the band rips through a set of rock gospel jams at the redeemed Christian Church of God. Everyone is on their feet, and I go, all right. At 8.40 p.m., a 400-member choir joins in. Some worshipers blow whistles. Okay. (laughs) At 9 p.m., Pastor Enoch gets a 15-minute ovation. Pastor Enoch? I mean, it'd be one thing if Jesus got a 15-minute ovation. If the Lord was suddenly, people just broke out and began to praise, and for an hour there was nothing but people just saying, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Praise Jehovah! Jesus is Lord! All that'd be great! But Pastor Enoch gets a 15-minute ovation. Yeah, the day a 15-minute ovation happens for a pastor in this church is the day I resign. And I'm not kidding. Because that's not what this church is about. It is about Jesus Christ. 
That's at 9 p.m. when he steps up to the platform. At 10.30, an hour and a half later, his sermon is just hitting its stride. And he tells the crowd to tell the Lord, everything I need to save me, the money, the ability, the house, give it to me now. At 12.15 a.m., 300 people come forward to be reborn. And at 12.30 p.m., or a.m., sorry, a.m. now, the collection buckets go around and the pastor says, what you cast will determine what you catch. At 2.30 a.m., testimonials of miraculous healings, including a woman who said she became HIV negative through prayer. Again, that, that's wonderful. And at 4 a.m., the pastor has said goodnight and the band packs up. Parts of that article were exuberating. Things that I read in there to see what might be going on in the name of Jesus were absolutely thrilling. But there's enough just in what was written to shake me to the core. For Jesus said false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show, listen, and will show great signs and wonders. To even deceive the elect if that were possible... Behold, I have told you in advance. I just need you to understand that the miraculous is not the measure of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit do the miraculous? Absolutely. Is it His power that truly heals? No doubt whatsoever. But understand, in the age in which we live, that is not the test of whether or not God is there. For even false prophets, Jesus says, will show great signs and wonders. How do you know he's a false prophet, Rick? Well, number one, when he starts to pour glory on himself. False prophets will arise, gang. According to a 2002 U.S. News and World Report poll, 77% of all Americans believe that truth can be found in all religions as opposed to one religion alone. 70% of all Christians in America say other religions should not be the targets of conversion efforts. Leave them alone. Let them believe what they want to believe. It's okay because there is truth in all religion. And I think about that and, and I, I go back to a conversation my kids and I had at the bus stop early in the morning. Corey and Hannah and I sitting there in the car waiting for the bus to come. And we were talking about this, this whole issue. <laughs> I love it. You know. This is why we call it, by the way, a cry room. Because that's where you go. You get, it's, it's good. It's, that's what it's there for. It's okay, Danny. You know what? His family. You're probably saying, okay, shut up, Rick. Will you just move on and stop pointing out? But it's my child. Okay, I, I'm, I'm done. Corey and Hannah and I were sitting at the bus stop. We were waiting for the bus to come and we began talking about false religion in the world. Things that were going on. And, and here's the thing, and I hope you understand this. It's not that Jesus is just the better choice. It's not even that He's the best of all possible choices. For if what He said in the Bible is to be believed, He is the only choice. Which means if there's someone you know of another religion, another faith, another belief system, you need to understand, you can just live and let live and let them sit in their, in their faith all you want, but they will not go to heaven unless they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the only choice. It's not as if there truly were other gods that exist. 
It's not as if there were other pathways to get to the Father. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. Not through the preaching of some pastor. Not through a movement in a church. Not through exciting signs and wonders. Through the name of Jesus Christ alone can a person be saved. If we understood that more, I believe we would have less issue with telling people in other places of other belief systems about Jesus. We cannot keep our mouths shut and call ourselves Christians. We can't do it. The world says, why do you Christians keep evangelizing? Let us be. Leave us alone. And I say, great, but you can't when you know there's only one way to be saved. I can't shut up about it. I'm sorry if that's offensive. But I would rather offend you and see you in heaven than be a kind buddy and watch you go to hell. And it's as simple as that. Rick, that's so fundamental. That's so black and white. It is so true. People will say, well, hey, just, just follow your heart. Do what your heart tells you to do. Gang, the heart is a flimsy instrument. It is not to be believed. It is so easily deceitful. My heart. Another poll indicates that 20%, that's one out of five Americans today, profess to practice New Age ideology. That's four, no, 40 million people. 40 million people in America who are New Age. Who don't really believe, they might believe Jesus was a good guy, or they might believe what a lot of New Agers believe, that you can come to a place called the Christ Consciousness, Jesus was just a person who in the New Age, well, wouldn't have been New Age 2,000 years ago, I guess it just would have been the age. <laughs> because old age would have been, you know what I'm saying. Jesus, Jesus was just someone who reached that level of consciousness. No, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus came as God among us. Emmanuel. And we've talked a lot about this recently. And you may say, well, Rick, are we going back to talking about Jesus as God and back to Jesus as a centerpiece? You betcha. Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude. Jude verse 10 says, The things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. If I'm listening to my heart, if I'm going on instinct, it's these things that will destroy me. Woe to them, James writes, or Jude writes, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, and 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 have perished in the rebellion of Korah. What's the rebellion of Korah? Numbers chapter sixteen. We're not going to read it this morning, but let me give you a recap because we looked at this Wednesday night. Korah was a cousin of Moses. Korah and another guy named Dathan and another guy named Abiram and 250 men of renown, known guys, you know, well-respected men of Israel, rose up against Moses. They called out to Moses and said, you've gone far enough. We don't want you as our leader anymore. We're tired of you. Who, who said that you could be our leader? They made this comment, and I love this. They said, look at the congregation. Everybody's holy. The whole congregation is holy. All the people are holy, not just you, Moses. Who do you think you are? And God said, that's it. I have had it with this rebellion. I have had it with these attitudes. Moses, you and the people draw back from Dathan and his people. And I'm really kind of putting the story in a nutshell here. There's a lot more to it. But Dathan comes out 
He comes out, Korah comes out of Byron. They stand in the, in the doorways of their tents, arms crossed, wives, children just standing around, and the earth opens up, and they fall headlong in, and it closes up over them, and they are gone. In that same moment, the 250 who rebelled, fire comes from the Lord and takes them alive. They are fried. And the people of Israel the next day, the next day, get up in the morning and rebel again. (laughs) Unbelievable. And Jude warns against this kind of rebellion, against this kind of apostasy. And Jesus says, in the last days, expect it. I told you ahead of time, so you will know it's coming. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice in this world where deceit where the work of Satan, where the dangers around us could be clearly seen. I was standing in Borders Bookstore down in Limwood yesterday. The Da Vinci Code is out in paperback now. It's the whole new printing of it. And along with it, a new book by the author of Holy Blood, Holy Grail, who back in the 80s was the first one to suggest maybe that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married and had a child. And many other books all surrounding it on this massive table in the center of borders talking about how scripture has been corroded over time. It's not really what it was. It's been changed. The scribes down the years, they changed all of it. Talking about how Jesus may not be who we think he really was. Doing everything possible, and I was just getting sick going from book to book to book to book that is undermining or attempting to undermine Christianity. Now you might say, well Rick, are you just being closed-minded? And I say, no, because I have studied the Bible enough to know its truth, to know its veracity, and to know that so much of what we read in all these other books are lies. And if you don't believe me, I mean, you can take my word for it or you can study it for yourself, but I would encourage you to do so with your Bible in hand. I would encourage you to go to the real scholars who really have spent the time to look, to the history we have in this book, to the absolute truth that is in this book, and I wouldn't preach things with with such conviction if I didn't know. I, I absolutely know. And we'll talk about the Da Vinci Code and all that in a few weeks here. We'll have a conversation about it. Honestly, I'm kind of, at this point, big deal. But I don't want you to be shaken up and confused. We're going to talk about it and look at what the Bible, how it really responds and what the historical evidence truly is. But we live in a world where the deceit is constant and it's all around. And the question keeps coming up to me, how do we equip ourselves? How do I as a pastor equip the fellowship to deal with these things? Wouldn't it be nice if we just had a measuring rod? You know, a stick that we could hold up. Maybe a tape that we could just spread out and say, okay, that's false. That's not correct. A line by which we could measure things and know what is absolute truth in the eyes of the Father and what are absolute lies. It'd be great if we had something like that. Well, we do. We do. Numbers chapter 17, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel. Now remember, this is following the rebellion of Korah, the murmuring, and then another plague on the people, and all the the rebellion that's going on. He says, Speak to the sons of Israel, and get from them a rod for each father's household. Twelve rods from all their leaders according to their father's households. You shall write each name on his rod, 
and write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there is one rod for the head of each of their father's households. Now you need to understand that the rod in Scripture is different than the rod at the Bridge Christian Fellowship. Okay? We have a rod. He's married to a barb. They're sitting to my right. This is a different kind of rod. The rod in Scripture speaks of authority and direction and leadership. When you consider a rod, the leader of a household or the leader of a people group, the leader of a tribe, would have their rod, their staff, and it was a sign of authority. Genesis 49.10 speaks of a rod, a scepter, that shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is a word meaning Messiah. And he shall, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. The Bible talks about Jesus in that time of the millennium ruling and reigning with an iron rod. He has absolute authority. So the rod is a picture of authority. It's a picture of direction also. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's, that's what I'm looking for, gang. I'm looking for a rod that will comfort me in this world. For a staff that I can lean on. For a crutch. People will say, your Christianity, your faith is just a crutch. Yes, it is. I accept that wholly. Fully. Yes, it is a crutch. I need a crutch to lean on. A standard of truth by which I can follow the Lord and measure what's going on in the world around me so that I don't have to run blindly into false teaching. And by the way, that same thing applies right here at the British Christian Fellowship. Don't assume because Rick says it that it's accurate. Don't just follow the teacher. You make sure your Bibles are open and you're in the Word and you're checking everything. And the one thing that I welcome is questions. I was talking with Dan just last week. And, and he asked three or four questions. And each time, apologized for asking so many questions. And I kept saying, no, bring it on. Man, if I can't answer the questions, I have no right to be standing up here teaching at all. <laughs> have your words open. Ask the questions. Christianity, gang, is not just a crutch. It is a rod that takes me through this valley of the shadow of death. It gets me through. It shows me the way to go. A measuring rod. Well, going on, verse 4 says, You shall then deposit them. Get this picture. Each one of the twelve tribes will bring up a leader. Each leader brings their rod, their staff. And he says, You shall then deposit them in the tent of meeting in front of the testimony where I meet with you. It shall come about that the rod of the man whom I choose will sprout. Okay, these are dead pieces of wood, walking sticks. It will sprout. Thus I will lessen from upon myself the grumblings of the sons of Israel who are grumbling against you. Moses therefore spoke to the sons of Israel. And all their leaders gave him a rod apiece. For each leader according to their father's households, twelve rods, with the rod of Aaron among their rods. So Moses deposited the rods before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. Now on the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the rod of Aaron, listen to this, for the house of Levi had sprouted, much to our surprise, (laughs) it had sprouted and put forth buds and produced almonds, it produced blossoms and it bore ripe almonds. Buds, blossoms, almonds, all protruding out of this wooden, dead walking stick. Aaron's rod. Doesn't God just do cool things? I mean, who would come up with this? You would think the day before would have shown the people who God was. You know, 
earth opening up, swallowing up. He goes, okay, you still don't believe me? I'm going to turn a stick into a little tree. I'm going to have a blossom above. We're going to have little flowers on it. And there's going to be almonds. And you can pop them right off. Pop it in your mouth. And it's better than the diamond brand. I mean, this is sweet straight from the Lord. A dead stick that blossoms overnight. Now, you might want to jot a few things down this morning because there is a picture in this rod that is amazing. In fact, several pictures. It, it draws us into a study, into an understanding, so that we can measure truth in this world. And I'm going to challenge you this morning just to stick with me and walk this out. It is so important for us to understand the world in which we live and what is of Jesus and what is not. Number one, if you're taking notes, the measuring rod is faithful. It is faithful to Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. The measuring rod is faithful to Jesus. It's faithful to this picture of who Jesus is. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Then a shoot, or literally a rod, will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. A shoot is going to spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Isaiah tells us that this rod from the stem of Jesse, do you know who Jesse is? David's father. King David's father. So this is, someone's going to come from the line, come from Jesse, David's father, and eventually will rule and reign in a time of perfect peace. That's what the whole chapter of Isaiah 11 is about. But down in verse 10, if you just skip down there quickly, it says... Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Turn to Isaiah 53. By the way, did you catch when I was reading that? Two things that Isaiah 11 says. In verse 1 it says that a shoot will come out of the root of Jesse, will come from Jesse. But then verse 10 says that it also forms the root of Jesse. In other words, this shoot is not only going to come from Jesse, but it's going to precede Jesse, come before Jesse. This, this person somehow doesn't just come after the fact. He was before the fact. But then before he comes to rule, before that time happens, when the authority, the rod who is Jesus Christ, before Jesus comes to rule, something else has to happen. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. No stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our grief he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Well, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Before he comes to rule, before this standard, this measuring rod rules, before Jesus comes in that millennial period to rule over the earth in that time of perfect peace, the Bible tells us before that can happen, he must be cut down. The rod must be cut down. And it's interesting to me, if you think about the picture, Aaron's rod, this dry, dead walking stick, Jesus became as dead as wood. 
Jesus became dead like wood. In fact, when he was crucified on the cross that day, on the dead wood of the cross, he cried out the phrase, Teleo. In the Greek, in the Aramaic, it would mean it is finished. It's finished. Everything is done. Everything accomplished. Everything completed in Christ. He died that day. He died that day as dead as wood. As dead as the the twelve rods that were laid in the tabernacle. That's how dead the body of Christ was. But you know the story. Three days later, the rod budded. It blossomed. It bloomed. And it burst out of the ground, resurrected to life. And the reason I remind you of this simple little story, this amazing fact of history, is that when Jesus was asked to give proof of his messianic authority, when the people said, hey, all we need is a sign to know that you're the one who you say you are, listen to how he responded. Matthew 12, verse 38. The scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign. And he answered and said, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. Sign of Jonah? What sign is that? You remember the story? The fish eats Jonah. How long is Jonah in the belly of the fish? Three days and three nights until the fish you know, burps him up onto land, back kind of to life. And Jesus says, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You want a sign for the true Messiah of all history? You want a sign? That's it. The resurrection. That's it, Jesus says. I'm not giving you another sign. I'm not going to give the world another sign. I'm giving them that. Dead wood bursting back, blossoming, blooming back to life. Jesus also said in John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, the Jews asked him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? You're holding up a rod. How do we know that the rod that you bear is the rod of authority? And he says, Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple. You'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Just as the rod of Aaron was a sign for Israel, so the resurrection of Jesus is the sign for all people. And the rod pictures that. This dead wood that bursts forth into life. It shouldn't have done it. There's no reason behind it. No human element, no human thought could make sense of that. It's what God did. Why did God choose a stick coming back to life? It portrays, it pictures Jesus. The measuring rod of God is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The measuring rod is faithful to Jesus. He's the only rod that budded. He's the only one that lived. We talked about Baha'u'llah a couple of weeks ago. The founder, leader of the Baha'i faith. And if you go to Israel, you can actually visit the Baha'i temple. Don't know why you'd want to, but you can. You know, if you like. Enjoy yourself. I won't be there. I've got a shopping to do. But you can go visit the Baha'i temple. You can also visit the grave of Baha'u'llah. Who's dead? He's buried there. He's still there to that day. Or to this day. When we go to the Garden King, you're going to notice that Jesus is not there. They've never found his body. It's mysteriously vanished. Why? Because Jesus is the only one who resurrected. He's the only one who came back to life, who lives still, who has the authority. Why do you follow Jesus Christ? Because he came back to life. Muhammad didn't. You know? Baha'u'llah, still rotting, still decomposing, still unavailable for comment. Now, there is a catch, gang. 
people may say regarding Christianity, I've got no problem believing in Him. I have trouble believing them. I don't have a problem with Jesus. It's all the other people who follow Him and say they are about Him. They're the ones I have a problem with. It's those other teachers. It's those pastors who get up there and try to pass them off as Bible scholars. How do I really know? How do I trust? How can I be sure about the teachers, even if I believe the teacher? It's a great question. Throw man into the mix, and how can we know that the rod of authority which they hold up today is from the Lord? Second thing to jot down, the measuring rod. The measuring rod is not only faithful to Jesus, it is fruitful for Jesus. It's fruitful for Jesus. Back in number 17, look again at verse 8. It says that on the next day, when, they, when it, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. It was fruitful. There was fruit hanging off of it. Edible, tasty almonds. The fruit of that rod. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Okay, Lord, I'm a little nervous about this. I'm a little concerned. How do I know who the false prophet, the false teacher, how do I know who he is, who she is? And Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. If your eyes are open, if you're paying attention, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. And that's key, gang. Because ultimately it is the fruit that proves if someone is of God. What fruit are we talking about? Galatians 5.22 The Bible even defines it for us. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of Christ. The fruit of the Father. The fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Ladies, you're studying it right now. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. This is if a person is teaching the words of God. If a person is in line with the Father and not a false teacher, you're going to see the fruit of the Spirit. Now, don't get confused. I served under a pastor for whom fruit was the number of people in the building. If your ministry is growing, if you've got lots of people there, that's fruit. Dang, this church that I just read about in Nigeria has hundreds of thousands of people involved. I warn you, I caution you, that is not fruit. The Bible never says the number of people gathered together is fruit. What the Bible says is the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Should I listen to that teacher? Should I join myself to that fellowship? And the answer is not if there's no fruit there. If you don't sense the fruit. One of the things I love to hear when people come to the bridge for the first time is how much love they sense when they walk in the door. That's not something I produce. I'm usually up here, you know, working with speakers, you know. It's you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And if the Spirit's here, we are going to be a loving fellowship. If the Spirit's here, we're going to experience the fruit. But gang, if the fruit of the teaching yields thorns and thistles, it is not from God. Legalism, dissension, control, loyalty to a man rather than faithfulness to Jesus Christ, these things are not the fruit that produces the truth or that is of the truth. You look for the fruit. And by the way, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. Did you know that? 
nine words listed there, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Well, there are nine of them, Rick. How come there's, it says fruit, but there's nine? Because all of the following eight refer back to the first one, which is love. The fruit is love. And that love that produces the joy, the peace, and the patience, and on down the line. And Jesus said, John 13, 35, By this will men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Is there love there? And love is defined by these other fruits. Now you might say, well, isn't it possible to be deceived by fruit? Can it look good on the outside and be rotten on the inside? How do I test the teaching itself? We're going to go a little further into this. Listen, how do I test the teaching itself? There may be fruit there. There may be people who truly are believers of of Jesus, but how do I know that the teaching is right on line with what the Lord wants to bring? And the key is in the blossoms, the buds, and the almonds. The blossoms, the buds, and the almonds. What do you mean? This amazes me. God could have chosen any fruit. That could have been a big old apple tree hanging off of Aaron's rod. You know, it could have been pears. It could have been oranges. I mean, it could have been any fruit. It could have been tomatoes. Tomatoes are fruit. Doesn't look like a fruit. Doesn't taste like a fruit. In fact, when you cut it open, it looks like it's still in the larval stage. You notice that? Anyway, it could have been anything, but God chose blossoms, buds, and almonds to be the fruit. Why is that? Well, this symbol appears a couple of other times in the Bible that are worth paying attention to. And the first time is back in Exodus 25, verses 31 through 40. I'll just tell you about it. You can read about it later if you'd like. It's the design of the lampstand in the temple. The lampstand. Blossoms, buds, and almonds. That's what God described, what he prescribed. He said, I want the lampstand to look this way. And then later when he chooses to cause Aaron's rod to to bud, he says... I'm going to make it look like the lampstand in the temple. Why would he do that? Why would he show that? Gang, listen. The lampstand speaks of two specific things in Scripture. One is very obvious. You know what it is. We'll get to it in a second. But the other one is the other one is the Word. The lampstand is a measure, is a picture of the Word of God. The Word of God, which is a measuring rod for us today. Great verse, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 11. The Word of the Lord came to me saying, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. I see a rod of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, You have seen well. And listen to this. He says, For I am watching over my Word to perform it. A connection to the almond tree, to the measuring rod of truth. I'm watching over my word to perform it. Jeremiah, you see a a rod of an almond tree. You know what this is? It's a picture of my word, which I will bring about. I will perform. The measuring rod is found in the teaching, in the word of God. Now, again, a favorite challenge of critics of the scriptures today will say that the Bible has become corrupted over time. It's not what it was. And so we need a new revelation. We need more scriptures. We need to add to it because what we have, it's not, it's not exactly what it was. 99.99999 repeating of the people who say that have never read the Bible. First of all. But the Lord says, and listen to me, He says, He is watching over His Word to perform it. 
The Bible gang, it never fails to truly stand up to the test of criticism. It always passes. And God is watching over His Word. In other words, this is not a random collection of books that somehow we pulled together and thought, I hope this is right. I hope we got it. But the Lord is watching over His Word. Chuck Missler says the following. He says, We're in possession of this collection of 66 books, which we call the Bible, written by more than 40 authors over 1,500 years, on, by the way, three different continents. And yet we know, we discover it has an integrated message from outside our time domain. Don't miss that. The Bible is a book that has a message that is beyond our time. How so? Prophecy. It's got prophetic words from the Lord where he says something and we see 500 years, 600 years, 700 years, 1500 years later we see it happen. Exactly as predicted. That Jesus Christ would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. How specific is that? But it was prophesied in Zephaniah. And the Bible, as you know, if you've been at the bridge any amount of time, you know how we get real excited about this stuff. The Bible is rife with prophecy. It is a book that stands outside our time domain. From human explanation, it makes no sense that something could be said and then later proved to be true. And it's all written in the same book. No other religious book out there even dares to do that. I was handed, as I told you before a couple weeks ago, a, a, a little folder full of the writings of Baha'u'llah. There wasn't a single prophecy in the lot. But man, if you want to stand up and say you got a word from the Lord, let's see it come true. Tell me something that's going to happen and let's watch it happen later. That's what the Bible does. It repeatedly, Missler says, authenticates this uniqueness by describing history before it happens. And this discovery totally shatters our traditional concepts of reality. The measuring rod is found in the Word of God, which is why we teach the Bible so consistently at the bridge. It's why we have the Bible, so that we can measure truth in this world. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, like the lampstand with its almonds. And Jeremiah's vision of an almond tree, of, of a rod of almonds. God says, that's a picture of my word. It is a light. It buds, it blossoms, it has almonds. It provides light in a dark world, and no other book does that. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 19. The Lord says, When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter. By the way, word, the word whisper there is literally chirp. I love that. The mediums and spiritists who chirp and mutter. Should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no light in them. If they're not speaking according to this word, according to this word, they have no light in them or they have no dawn. They're just chirping. They're like annoying little birds who poop on the pastor's notes. We've been okay this morning. I think they're a little quiet. Pay no attention to the chirping, to the muttering. You go to the law, to the testimony. And I'm not talking about the law as in legalistically. 
I'm talking about going to the law, which is a picture of Jesus Christ, who is our grace, who is our salvation, to the Word of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And again, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light in them. Now the lampstand, stay with me, the lampstand with its almondine blossoms speaks of something else as well. Actually speaks of someone else. For the measuring rod of God is filled up with the Holy Spirit. The measuring rod of God truly is the Holy Spirit, who He gives to us. Cheryl and I were sitting there outside of P.F. Chang's China Bistro yesterday, sitting on a bench at the, uh, uh, what is the Alder Mall. And as we sat there together, we were looking out at, at all the people. And Cheryl made a really interesting comment. She said, you know, you see all these people, you kind of wonder how many of them have the Holy Spirit. And I thought, what a cool thought. Because we don't always know. When we see each other and recognize each other as Christians, you know, walking around here in Oak Harbor or Anacortes, we go, oh yeah, yeah, spirit-filled Christian, I, I know that. But you don't know when you're a big crowd of people, there are all kinds of people who have the Holy Spirit. That, by the way, is the only reason why this entire world is not completely upside down. Why this world isn't just awash in sin. Oh, it's, it's bad. But the Holy Spirit in His people is restraining the Bible tells us, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, is the restraining influence in this world. The standard, the measuring rod, it's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's not just any fruit we're talking about, it's the fruit of the Spirit. So that's the question you ask. Well, how do I know someone's filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, this pastor, and there are people with their hands up and they're praising, they're doing all kinds of things in this, in this church in Nigeria. People are being healed. Miraculous works, people speaking in tongues, blowing whistles. I mean, the Holy Spirit, right? Right? Listen, let me read to you something real quickly. In the book of James, chapter 3, you don't have to flip there. You can if you want to. You're always welcome to. James, chapter 3, verse 13. Listen closely to what he says. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior and his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wisdom that is not the wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. That's selfish ambition. You're driving. You're gonna do it, I'm gonna make it happen. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But now listen, verse 17. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown, listen, is sown, don't miss this, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peace. What is it that you hear when you're in the study of the Word of God? What is your heart doing? What are you sensing? Are you sensing strife? Are you, are you feeling an amount, a degree of dissension? Or are you feeling peace? Do you sense ambition? And a drive for bigger and better things? Or do you sense peace? Okay, if the Holy Spirit is there 
there will be peace. You will experience, you will know, you will feel peace. The fruit of peace. It comes directly from the Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, 26, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. He'll bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, and not as the world gives do I give. What does the world give? Turn on the cable news. What do you see? Arguments. We brought on two experts, a Democrat and a Republican, and you know what's going to happen. They go at it, and you're going trying to listen. What? What are they? I, finally, I just turn it off. I go to SpongeBob because at least I can hear what they're saying. <laughs> Give me Jimmy Neutron. You know, unbelievable. See, because Nick is so close to our cable news, we just flip four channels down, and we're there. So it's nice when they're going at it. But that's all it is. It's argument. It's strife. What's going on in Washington? Bitterness, dissension, backbiting, anger. And by the way, if you start to experience that in a, in a church fellowship, the Holy Spirit is not there. He's withdrawn. He's gone somewhere else where the people will accept love. Where they will sit in His peace. And when you're listening to teaching, when you're talking to someone maybe who is of a different religion, Gang, peace is key. Experiencing the peace of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that this is of God? The measuring rod of God is filled up with the peace of the Holy Spirit. Man, man brings strife, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings peace. So God's measuring rod blossoms. It's found in the Word. It's filled up with His Spirit. It's fruitful for Jesus. It's faithful to the person of Jesus. Now look at verse 10 of Numbers chapter 17. Just a couple more minutes here. We're almost done. The Lord said to Moses, Put back the rod of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put an end to their grumblings against me so that they will not die. You take this budding, blossoming, almondine rod and you put it back in there. And you keep it. And any time that people start to mutter or grumble or complain, bring out the rod. Don't spare the rod or you'll spoil these children. Bring out the rod and you show them once again the stamp of the Father. The authority of God rests with Aaron in this case. The measuring rod. Why did they bring it out? Because gang, it served as a reminder of rebellion. That the people would see it and remember what happened in this time. See that rod and say, okay, that's a sign that we were rebelling against the true authority of the Lord. And my friends, I need that reminder. I need that reminder almost on a daily basis because I don't want to die. I need the reminder. And His name is Jesus Christ. And He is the standard. He is the measuring rod. Now the last thing, I've got to tell you this. We've got to understand in this place... What matters most is what matters most to Jesus. Let me say it again. Listen. What matters most is what matters most to Jesus. The book of Mark, chapter 11, tells us a fascinating story. It tells of the one time, the one time in all of Jesus' miracles that He does something destructive. Every miracle of Jesus is a miracle as to healing or lifting someone up, restoration, It's all good, but one. One destructive miracle of Christ Jesus. Mark chapter 11. 
beginning around verse 12. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. And so seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. So why was Jesus looking for figs anyway? Because there's what's called the early fruit, the, the early figs, that will come on the tree. I picked a couple of them when, when we were in Israel. It was January. It's not the season for figs. But we were up in northern Galilee, and I picked a couple off and stuck them in my pocket and brought them home. I was so proud. You know, I ripped something off from the land of Israel. You know. <laughs> but the, I brought them home for a reason, because I remembered this story. Jesus went looking for figs. Not the rich, meaty, fruity figs that you would get in the summertime, but early figs. Early figs, gang, are still edible. They're still life-sustaining. They don't taste great, but they still will fill you up and satiate if you're feeling a little weary, a little hungry. And that's what Jesus was. Then he goes looking, and he finds this fig tree. It's got leaves. Oh, good, maybe there's some fruit on it. But he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, verse 14, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. (laughs) And his disciples were listening. That was kind of weird, John. Yeah, I know, Peter. I saw that. (laughs) He just cursed the tree. (laughs) Now, he's done that with the Pharisees, and that makes sense, because they're kind of stupid. But the tree didn't do anything to him. It shed little leaves off it. So it was a little fruitless, and he cursed it. I mean, you know, think about what the apostles must have thought. That's just so out of character for Jesus. And yet it tells us that when they were coming back by, when evening came, verse 19... They would go out of the city, and as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. Oh, ye of great intelligence. (laughs) Got to get up awfully early in the morning to pull one over on Peter. The fig tree's withered up. What is going on here? What's happening? Listen. Jesus is saying in essence this. To the fig tree, if you won't satisfy me, you won't satisfy anybody. If you won't satisfy me, if your fruit isn't there for me in this moment, at this time, if the fruit isn't for me, it will not be for anybody. It's not for me. The fifth thing, if you're taking notes, is simply this. The fruit of the budding rod is first and foremost for the Son of God. The fruit is first and foremost for Jesus. This is the reason why any church fellowship should exist. Is first and foremost to be pleasurable to Jesus. To be about pleasing Him. Guess what? It is not about meeting all of our needs. That's not why we're here. You may have thought it was why you're here. You may have come here because you can get something out of being here. But the bottom line is this. If it doesn't feed the Lord, it's not going to feed anybody. If the fruit isn't there for Him, what fruit? The fruit of lips, Hebrews 13.15 tells us. The fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that praises Him. That's why we're here. We're not here for ourselves. We must be about this. 
about pleasing Jesus, pleasuring Jesus, presenting all that we have and are to Jesus, praising Him. Did you know that whether or not you enjoy yourself this morning is completely beside the point? Whether the worship happened to lift you up or maybe it just wasn't right for you today. So what? And I say this with all the love I can muster. Big deal. We didn't worship for you. We're not studying the Bible for you. We're not gathered together this morning for you. I know it's a shock. (laughs) We are here to bring pleasure to Jesus. That's it. Now the fantastic thing is the more pleasure we bring to the Lord, the more fruit appears and the more we have to eat. And the more we're blessed. And the more we are just blown away and the more we can walk out of here having had a great morning together. Because the focus was the Lord and not ourselves, not our needs, not our stuff. Man, our stuff gets in the way. Whether I feel moved or touched or nurtured is beside the point. If you're showing up, if you ever show up at the Bridge Christian Fellowship expecting worship to do something for you, you might want to check your fig tree at the door. Because the fruit is missing, gang. We do it for the Lord. If it doesn't satisfy Jesus, it's not going to satisfy anybody. Two last verses here. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, All things have been created by Him, through Him, and for Him. So even beyond our time together on a Sunday or a Wednesday night, or any time that we fellowship in small groups or Bible studies, beyond all of that, our very existence, the Bible tells us, is for Him. And the second thing is this. Revelation 4.10 In the King James Version And I love how it's phrased Thou art worthy, O Lord To receive glory And honor And power For Thou hast created all things And for Thy pleasure They were And are created For His pleasure In Jesus and through Jesus' name We have a measuring rod in this world We can test anything by His Word, by His Spirit, by the fruitfulness of what's going on, by how faithful it is to Jesus Christ, but bottom line, does it lift Him up? Does it bring the fruit to Him? Does it lay the fruit at His feet? And the good news is this, you might feel like your life amounts to a bunch of dead wood. You can blossom in the Lord. You can be fruitful in Jesus if you will come to the tabernacle of grace. All the sticks are laid out there. There's one that's blossoming. It's Jesus Christ. Come to the mercy seat. For in Jesus you can and will bear lasting fruit. Let's pray together. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, just thank you for being here. And it's our prayer, our hope, that our hearts would be lifted up to you. And that you, Father, will have experienced joy and, and happiness here this morning. That you will feel blessed by the gathering of this group of people that your word would bring honor to you that every prayer would lift you up that the worship would be completely for you God 
and without your spirit we're dead wood. <laughs> we're the other eleven rods cast down in the tabernacle, lying there unfruitful, somewhat useless, dry. And yet, wonderfully, Lord, you share your glory. Wonderfully, you give us opportunity to be filled with your Holy Spirit and to blossom and bud and to bear fruit. But Jesus, we do recognize that your word says apart from you, we can bear no fruit. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will be so present here, that your spirit is so pervasive, that we would see you in each other. That we would get to the point, Father, where we cease to recognize each other by the flesh. But as Paul says, we see only by the Spirit. That we would see you in each other. Because, Father, if I see you in my brothers and sisters, it makes me love them all the more. If I'm looking for you, ah, there's wonder there. Praise you, Lord. Now I know we've gone long, but let's continue praying just for a moment. If there is anyone here whose life feels fruitless, you feel dry, you feel like you're at the end of your rope, perhaps you wonder even what you're doing in your life. I just want to invite you just to acknowledge the Father as we pray this morning not to draw any attention to yourself but maybe even bow just a little further put your hand over your heart lean into the Lord whatever you need to do but would you just pray this prayer after me Father I want you to change me Lord I need to feel your Holy Spirit because I have felt so dead lately and I want the fruit of my life to truly bring, bring pleasure to you. Jesus, I want the fruit of my heart to be there when you come up and you're hungry. As with the fig tree, when you, when you turn around and see me, I, I want there to be fruit in my heart for you to enjoy. I, I want a life that is enjoyable to you, not enjoyable to me. Oh God, would you forgive me? for putting so much emphasis on my authority in my life. I repent of that. I repent of being the boss of my household, of being the, the ruler of my decisions. I repent. And I turn it back to you. Because I can't, I can't bear fruit without you. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, be my authority. And if you've never received Jesus as your Lord, as the authority of your life, you can begin this morning just by praying, Lord, I'm a sinner and I confess to you my sin. And I need you to heal me and save me. I believe that you died on the dead wood of Calvary I believe that you became as dead would. You were completely dead, but you blossomed. You rose back to life. I believe this. 
And it's in this that I know I can have my salvation. And so Lord, be my Lord. And be my Savior. I accept you this morning. In the name of Jesus, we all pray together. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have the band come back up quickly.